Okay. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Nothing but the blood. All right, so try holy, holy, holy. And then it is well with my soul. Closer. place and put them for his pillows and he laid down to place them to sleep and he dreamed and behold a lattice set up on the earth and the top of it reached to the heavens and behold the angels of God were ascending and descending on it and behold the Lord stood above it and said I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac the land whereon you lie to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whithersoever you go and will bring again you into this land for I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awoke out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid, and he said, How dreadful is this place, or awesome is this place, is really the word. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and he took the stone that he had put for his pillow and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it and he called the name of that place Bethel, which means what? The house of God. We're going to turn now to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 for one verse. And that's what I'm speaking on this morning. Ecclesiastes 5, how to walk in the house of God. Ecclesiastes 5.1, God your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of praise. Of, excuse me. Than to offer the sacrifice, I'm used to saying praise, of fools. Who would ever thought that that would be used that way? To offer the sacrifice of praise for they do not know what they are doing or that they are doing evil. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. I have something to say to you. In Genesis chapter 28 is the first place where we read that expression, the house of God. It's a common expression that we use to describe oftentimes when we go to church. I'm going to the house of God. Some churches name their buildings the house of God. I grew up thinking that I was going to the house of God. Some things 
may need some uh, corrections. But what do you think the author himself, Solomon, let's say, who's the author, what did he mean when he says, God yourself, or watch your step, or be mindful? That word actually means to God, to take care of. It's the same that word that was used in Genesis when God told Adam and Eve, or Adam particularly, to care for the garden, to mind it to be careful in the way in which you cultivate it. That's what is used here as that word when you go into the house of God. What was then the house of God? We've already read about the use of the word in Genesis 28, described as a place of awe. God's presence was there. It drew out of him a sense of amazement of being in a place where the true and the living God was. That was what was revealed to him in the dream. And he saw angels of God ascending and descending. That kind of phrase is used in John chapter 1, do you remember? It says about the Lord Jesus that the angels of God, not not ascending and descending in his case, but descending and ascending because he's the object now below and the angels are coming down, as it were, to him and then rising up back into heaven. The house of God. Let's look at a couple of things here. Well, first of all, let me go back a second. This would be a common, well, church, okay? Isn't that going to the next slide? There we go. So here it was again. I want to bring to your attention. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. I was not aware of it. I was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. There is none other than, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. In the Old Testament, we have in Psalm 122, verse 1, I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. How glad are you when you think of an expression like that? He says, I was glad when they said. Now, we'll get to where that actually is, but let's look at some of these passages here. Verse Deuteronomy 16.2 Thou shalt therefore sacrifice the Passover unto the Lord thy God of the flock and the herd in the place which the Lord shall choose to place his name there. There was a very specific place that the psalmist had in mind when he says, when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Luke 2.41, every year Jesus' parents went to where? Jerusalem, the house of the Lord, for the Passover feast. Then we have a later in the early history of the church, after Pentecost, in the book of Acts, there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure he had come to Jerusalem to worship. What's so special about Jerusalem? The place where the Lord had chosen to put his name. There was a warning given in the Old Testament about sacrifices. To not bring your sacrifice to every place but to the place which the Lord your God shall choose. Jerusalem, the city of peace, is the place that the Lord chose to be where the house of God would be constructed now. This is not specifically Solomon's temple, but a facsimile of it. 
Solomon was the one who built the temple in about 900 B.C. That was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. It was later built when they came back from the captivity under Nehemiah and Ezra and so on, which would have been the same building that Jesus would have entered into. So when he went up with his family to worship at the festival, it would have been in the temple here, the house of God, which Jesus calls, I find this very interesting, he says, you have made my father's house a den of thieves. So he calls this place my father's house. What an expression. He says about when he, remember he uh, got a bunch of cords and whipped those that were bringing in offering for sale and making money, making merchandise of his father's house. The scripture says, the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. Christ had a zeal for the house of God. That was a rather violent act. That was like Moses coming down from the mount and seeing the children of Israel who built an idol, smashing the idols, grinding them to powder, mixing it with water, and even having them drink of their iniquity when they built a molten calf Two, which was an idol of Egypt's. And here the true and living God brings them out of Egypt. Because Moses delays his coming when he's up in the mount, the children of Israel built a molten calf. How that angered Moses, the meekest man on earth, and Jesus, who's meek and lowly and described that way as well, shows his fury against sin in a similar fashion. The house of God. What, what a spot this must have been. What an, a, what a place. Remember the disciples in Matthew 24 with Jesus and his disciples on the outskirts of the city. They were gazing on the city of Jerusalem and this was what was massively sticking out as in their eyesight. And they were pointing out to Jesus the beauty of this temple. The whole construction of it. Herod had added to it. Beautified it even more. There were walls and rooms. and It was a gigantic, gigantic uh, edifice that had many, many, you could say, wings to it that would have dwarfed the White Houses and any of the buildings that we have ever seen. That's what this building was like. My father's house. You've made it into a den of thieves. What was it like to go into the temple? Well, you know, when, uh, when I was, uh, when God was working in my life in college, I became religious as well as reading the scriptures and praying. Um, I, I know the Lord was working in my life, but I was not in a, you could say, matured state of knowing Christ as my personal Savior. I didn't have the indwelling of the Spirit that enabled me to overcome uh, the flesh, the world, and the devil. It's still an ongoing battle. I don't want you to think that it isn't. But I remember trying to describe to my brother-in-law, Michelle, my wife's brother, uh, trying to get him interested in spiritual things. And I really didn't have a whole lot to say, but I did have the key to the church building of the Orthodox Church that I grew up in. And this was at midnight, and we had been partying, I must admit. Um, but I did want to communicate 
this spiritual religiousness of Christianity to him. And I thought the best way to do that would be to bring him to the building. This is after midnight, maybe 1230 at night. Had the key, got into this huge, uh, uh, this huge edifice. We went upstairs into the sanctuary. I turned, knew how to turn the lights on. All the chandeliers, you know, just light up the place. All the beauty of the artistry, the icons, just captures your gaze. Uh, didn't have the incense going or the choir singing, but the smells and the bells atmosphere was certainly there. And I kind of introduced him to some of the holy pictures and mentioning the different names. And because I was starting to try to understand Christendom and, and some of the features and religious figures of the past, I was trying to draw his attention to that, thinking that this is going to capture his interest so much that he's hopefully going to convert just by the scenery. And there is a sense, I don't know if you've ever been, I'm sure many of you have been in some amazing Catholic churches. If you've been to Rome, I've been to Rome and I've gone in some of them and they, they, they dazzle your mind. They're just unbelievable uh, feats of, of man's uh, artistry and craftsmanship. Uh, you do get sort of goosebumpy. And, and if I didn't know better, I could probably feel like this is God's house. And I have a, 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 a suspicion that, and, and this is a very poor picture, sad to say, but um, I've been in Mexico City and I've gone into, which was largest, one of the largest cities in the world, and they have an amazing, amazing uh, Roman Catholic church. And, and they're all over the world. And that's why I think this attracts people because it, 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 it is just so breathtaking when you look and you see all around you and you, have to, you kind of feel almost like Jacob in a way, this got to be the house of God. It's got to be the house of God. Well, is it really the house of God? We want to look at that a little bit. Now, let's let's fast forward a little bit to the New Testament. What happens? Remember, Psalm 122 says, I was glad when they said, Let us go up unto the house of the Lord. You know, Jerusalem was always thought of as being an elevated place. When you left Jerusalem, you went down. When you went to Jerusalem, you always went up. It was a, an elevated city. A rightful place. And most cities anyway were elevated because that's how they would protect themselves from the enemies so that they could see them below and they could arm themselves better. And they often had walls around the city to protect them from the intruders. But here's a verse. This is from the New King James Version. I picked that particularly. It reads like this. I write, Paul saying this to Timothy, so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in what? The house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, interesting. Are there two houses now? Do we have the temple, uh, Solomon's uh, Herod's temple? And what temple or what house is being referred to here? Solomon's, Herod's, or is it something else? We'll talk about that. And it's better translated, by the way. It shouldn't really be house of God, so... If, if you were to say, well, is there anywhere in the New Testament that uses the term house of God? Well, the New King James translates the word, the Greek word, into house, rather than all of your translations probably will read, conduct yourself in the household of God, 
which conveys something little differently that's important for our understanding on the transition from the house of God in the Old Testament to what the household of God would mean in the New Testament. Now, here's a stark difference. I try to take a shot of something that's very plain. Like this is an ordinary kind of a, quote, Protestant church. Um, evangelical church, if you will. Probably on the oldest style, obviously, with the pews. But what difference do we see? We don't see the icons. We don't see artistry. We don't see Jesus hanging on a cross. There's no angels in the background here, painted on the walls. There's no um, Peter or Paul or the Virgin Mary holding Jesus as a babe, which you will see commonly in many of the Orthodox and Catholic churches, which again gets that eye attraction uh, and sort of swells your, your inward religious man to think that this is the house of God. But Protestantism historically has not had anything as far as eye-catching because there's something different about the house of God or the household of God when we come together in comparison to the way that it had been in the past. So it's not physical here, it's spiritual. Very plain, as you see in this picture. Now this is what I mean. This is Hebrews 3.6. Christ is faithful over God's house... This is not a physical dwelling. He's faithful over God's house or household as a son. And we are his house. That's that's a transference from the old to the new. We are his house. Ephesians 2 and says, In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. And that's what we are. We become the house of God, the household of God in which God dwells. Now, we're not always together, obviously. There's only a few hours of the week like Sunday, maybe Bible studies during the week, small group. You might get together with fellow Christians for one semi-organized gathering to pray, to uh, sing songs, to uh, edify each other from the Word. That's wonderful. But you must admit, we're apart from each other most all of the day, t- days and times of the week. And even though we may be dispersed from each other, we are still classified as a household of God. It tells us in Second Timothy 2 that in a great house, there are, not, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some therefore to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, what are these? These are the vessels of dishonor. We separate ourselves from people of the world when it comes to serving God and worshiping God. And that's how we become sanctified and fit or meet for the Master's use. Now, when the church comes together, we're going to read about right here in the book of... uh, Let's start with this one first. First Corinthians. No, let's go to Acts eleven twenty three. When he came, that would be um, Barnabas, I believe. When he came and saw the grace of God, when he went to Antioch, it says he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful with steadfast purpose. So he comes where he comes. It would have to be 
to the church, to God's people, likely when they were gathered together, he saw the grace of God. When we enter into an, into a church, watch your foot, guard yourself when you come into the house of God. You're with God's people. Right here we have on these seats, miraculousness. People of God. Once you are alienated, strangers, like the hymn writer says, once I was once, once I was a stranger to grace and to God. I felt not my danger. I felt not my load. Though friends spoke in rapture of Christ on the tree, Jehovah said, Can you was nothing to me. At one time the Lord meant nothing to you. But now He does. And that makes for a miracle, miraculous event that has occurred in your life that makes you a child of God. This room is filled with a miracle. We're a miracle people. We're not like the world. We were once of the world, but now we're not of the world. We're children of the living God. That's what makes this place an awesome place. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 14. But if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in, and that's what we welcome, we're glad to have anybody come in of all sorts of life. Lesbians, homosexuals, thieves, robbers, they're all welcome, come. Jesus ate and drank with sinners and prostitutes and whores and drug addicts, if you will. Come on and hear the great news of what Jesus Christ can do for you. We don't require you to have get polished. You come just as you are. That's why that song was written, Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. We don't have to have a plea. We don't have to bargain with God or with the church people and say, I think I'm good enough. I've been visiting somebody in the nursing home lately. He has no church history whatsoever. He's in his 50s and he really wants to come to church when he gets out. He says, I don't know what to do when I come. What do I... I says, do nothing. Just come and be present and watch and see and listen. And hopefully something like this could happen. If an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying. The in is important here. It's in the church body when they're gathered together. The church family when they come together in one place. While everyone is prophesying, not every everyone, meaning everyone who's prophesying. There are, God gave gifts to the church. Prophesying here does not mean predictive events of the future, but is simply giving forth the present word of God. When we begin to preach the word or teach the word, we are prophesying because the scriptures are categorized as the writings of the prophets. It's a prophetic book. Not all futuristic and forecasting the future, but it's present. So while everyone is prophesying, they are what? Convicted of sin. How do people get convicted of sin? By coming in and they're hearing something. They're convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. Now, I'm not sure if that all is all strictly the speaker's and there would have been multiple speakers, like we have sometimes multiple speaker Sundays. I think that's pretty in line with 1 Corinthians 14 when you think of it. Um, they probably met for two or three or four hours. That might have been another reason why they could have had so many multiple speakers. But convicted or brought under judgment by all. 
My sense too is that the church is corporately behind the voice of the speakers in a sense saying amen. We don't have an amen in our church anymore. We used to have a few ameners. What happened to y'all? You know? A brother convicted me one day and he said, you know, do you know that your church denomination is going to be the first in the rapture? I goes, wow, really? I says, you have a scripture for that? He says, yeah, I'm going to give you one. It says, the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught. So, you get the point? Spiritually dead. Where's that, where's that enthusiasm, that excitement? We should be the most enthusiastic people on earth. Actually, hey, who said that? Isaac, good. Um, actually, a brother approached me yesterday and said, Brother, do you mind, could I talk to you a little bit? I said, sure, brother. He says, um, you know, I'm just, I just don't have that excitement, enthusiasm, and that joy in my life as a Christian. And I feel bad about it, and I don't know what to do about it. And I know the brother is sincere. He loves the Lord. He reads the Word every day. He goes to meetings all the time. And I said to him, and we quoted, I believe it together, where, where the scripture says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We are talking about that uh, last night at the campfire. The joy of the Lord. When your, jo- when your joy is robbed, look out. You're going to feel like Samson when he's captured by the Philistines and his strength is gone and he becomes like all other people until his hair grows. And then his prayer, Lord, remember me this one last time. He got that vigor back again. It's great to have that vigor, that excitement, that enthusiasm. This is an awesome thing that we're in touch with, brothers and sisters. God is in your life. So this unbeliever comes in. Two, actually. Unbeliever, the inquirer, is someone who you could say is in a catechizing state. He's probably been there before. The actual word in the Greek, believe it, is where we get the word idiot. But the way the word idiot was used in early centuries does not mean what we mean by idiot. Idiot simply means a person who's uninformed in his learning. He's not in a full state of maturity yet intellectually. So it's not a negative term. We use it negatively, but that's not what it meant in, in, uh, originally. So when that idiot comes in, the inquirer, that's who it is, comes in while everyone is prophesying. They are convicted of all and brought under judgment by all. Notice, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. That's an amazing exclamation. God is among you. Now, when it says falls down, I think it literally means falls down. So if you want to think of anywhere in the Bible where it talks about slain in the Spirit, there it is. That's it. Falls down. I was listening up, uh, to a... Uh, you know, I listen to sometimes things all night long. And sometimes I wake up and, you know, I said, oh wow, it's halfway done. You know how that goes. But anyway, I was listening to a thing about the Brownsville Revival. Remember that back in Florida in 19, late 1900s? Um, it was wacky in a lot of ways, but I think God was in it. And there was one story that was told, I'll just share, I think it's interesting. And it's been, it's been ratified by two people, the pastor and another uh, person who was doing evangelism there for four years. 
there, uh, down in uh, Pensacola, that's where Brownsville is, these, uh, there were two play, play, playgirl bunnies, that's what they call them, playgirl bunnies. Don't, I'm not going to ask a girl, but you know what I'm talking about. They, playboy bunnies, that's what it is, playboy bunnies. They were down there to have some shots taken on the beach. Well, it just so happened that a hurricane had come through, and so they had to call off the shooting, the camera shooting. So they were in a taxi, and the two ladies say, hey, what's going on in the city? What's, what's the big thing? We want to go where there's action. And the taxi driver said, the action, really, believe it or not, people are coming from all over the world to the Brownsville Revival. It's in a church. They goes, oh, wow. Well, bring us there. They didn't have anything else to do. They went to the Brownsville Revival, and yes, they had kind of a falling down experience, I must admit, but these ladies have gone on to show that they they truly were children of God. One of them said, I'm a new person, I want to change my name. Hallelujah! You know, I don't care who's preaching, like Paul says, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and therein do I rejoice, yea, and will always rejoice. So we need to rejoice wherever the gospel is preached. I might might never want to join that church or maybe even recommend anyone to go there. But if Christ is preached, we need to be supportive of them and be excited that they're preaching Christ and Him crucified. Hopefully they are. Wish more churches were doing that. That's what saves people. So these unbelievers come in and they're struck down, fall down and worship God. How do we worship God? Tell me right here, doesn't it help us? They're praising God. They're in awe at this place and say, God is really among you. God is really among you. Now keep in mind, these are heathens that are walking in. They're used to going into the temples where there are prostitutes that are carrying on for fertility purposes. And here they're walking into the a household of God with God's people gathered together. And, and this is a big part of Christian, of, of Protestantism is the pulpit, not the altar. That just wouldn't be an altar. This is a table, but you know what I mean? This is it. This is where the words preach. Music that is sung. Lyrics that are used in those songs. Prayers and praises. Our brother, what he brought out, others of you that have read, that's what people come in and they hear and they see. And maybe God... When the Spirit works in their life, they will fall down and worship God and say, this, God is really among you. That's a very punctuated, exclamatory saying, God's among you. Wow. A wow goes off right there when that person comes in to that congregation. We need to be stirred, don't we, brothers and sisters? We want to get back to the way it used to be. And it can happen to us. And hopefully we come with an attitude when they said to us, let us go up to the house of the Lord. I was glad. Watching it on the TV, yeah, okay. You can be blessed by that, Not, no doubt about it. But to come with a people of God in physical communion, that makes all the difference in the world. You get charged spiritually when you're with the saints of God. It has an effect upon you. Got to move on here. Now, why did I bring this picture up? Do you remember this picture, Denise Gallant? Um, the church had, at my 10th year of a pastor, they had bought me this uh, picture 
a big, it's a big picture, glass framed and all that. And uh, at first I was a little like, wait a minute, I'm not orthodox anymore, but uh, uh, I got the, and I couldn't show you the verse and put it on the same picture, but the verse is this. Seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, or we are surrounded by so great a cloud. Who is, a, who is surrounding us? Moses, Peter, Paul, Isaac, Jacob. Just think of the train, the lineage that we are a part of. We are all grafted into the roots by faith in Jesus Christ so that we are spiritually united. We can really say Abraham is our father, spiritually. That's something to keep in mind. That's the kind of company, and, and I don't want to give any wrong impressions here, that, hey, where are you, Isaac? Come, you know, or, or where are you, Paul? No, I, I, that's not the case. Jesus is in our midst, okay? He's superior to them all. Because it, it tells us right after that, with all of this, it still says, but looking unto Jesus, the author and the completer of our faith, or the perfecter of our faith. But there is a kind of a communion that we have with those that have gone on before us. We are in this lineage, but we're also a part of the same family. And I'll get to that real quick. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Where's that? Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for thou art with me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell where? In the house of the Lord. That's what it's called, the house of the Lord. How'd that happen, Michael? All right. All right, I'm guilty. I... Give me the next one, brotherness. Here we go. Revelation 21.4 I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is the end of the story, brothers and sisters. This is the end of the line. This is our ultimate destiny. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And by the way, this is said right after chapter 20 where it says, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose faith the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Chapter 22 says about them, without our dogs and whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, etc. But for us, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. That's what's going to happen. Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not or never pass away. And there was no more sea, okay? It's going to be a whole different uh, contour. And I saw, I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. That's the house of God. That's the final dwelling place where God and men together dwell in physical and spiritual communion with one another. And He will dwell with them. That's God will dwell with them and they shall be His people and God Himself shall be with them and be their God and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. Watch yourself Ecclesiastes 5 says, Guard yourself, 
Guard your steps when you go to the house of God to draw near. I'm going to pause there because I want to continue on be a part of that one next week. But guard yourself when you come into the house of God. The household of God. We are the household of God. And you could put it this way. When the household of God comes together to form a house of God's where He dwells in the midst would be a perfect, I think, way of expressing what the Scriptures teach about New Testament Christianity. In the Old Testament, God dwelt there in the temple in a way because ultimately it tells us in Acts that no, no human hands could build anything that God could dwell in, but it was sort of a temporary uh preview or uh, what was for the time being satisfactory for Israel to know that God was with them. Where was he? He was above the Ark of the Covenant where you had the cherubs looking at one another and downwards and underneath was what the Ten Commandments, the part of uh, um, um, the part of manna, yes, and then the, the rod of Aaron's that budded. And on that mercy seat was the blood that was sprinkled and God was above that in the glory cloud. In the New Testament, the glory cloud is with us. Remember when the disciples wanted to build three shrines, one for Moses and, uh, and one for Elijah and one for Jesus? All of a sudden, Moses and Elijah disappear. Those great prophets of the past. And the voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye Him. So in all things, He must have the preeminence. So His dwelling place will be among men. God Himself, Almighty God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, will dwell among us. But in the meantime, just think of what our destiny is. This is a little preview of what heaven will be like. I love being with God's people. I love you all and I hope you love me and I hope we love each other. Because that's how the people of God are in this world. Jesus' prayer, our brother was preaching on it. That they would love one another. As you, Father, have loved me, may my love be in them as well so that they will love one another. And so the what? That the world will know that you have sent me. I've got a mansion, brothers and sisters. You've got a mansion just over the hilltop in the bright land where we'll never grow old and someday yonder we'll never more wander but walk on the streets that are purest gold. That will be the ultimate house of God. Let's bow in prayer in closing. Heavenly Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you for the reminder, O oh God, of the company that we keep with you, Lord, and the power, Lord, that resides in the company of God's people when we sing, when we pray, when we read the Word, when we preach the Word. Lord, it's a grand privilege. Help us, O oh God, to have that sense like Jacob did when he awoke and said, this is none other than the house of God. And Lord, may we have that awesome feeling when we come together. May that reverence fill this house. Lord, may Your Word go out in power as we began the, our service by singing, Holy, Holy, Holy. It's unimaginable, O oh God, from our standpoint, how we could ever possibly be in the presence of You, a holy God. But Lord, thank You for that amazing grace that saves wretches like us and all these brothers and sisters that came up to the platform publicly admitting, yes, they have idols in their life, 
But we thank you, Lord, that your promises that I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll always be with you. I'll be with your helper. So, Lord, bless each and every one and anyone that doesn't know you as their Savior. We pray that they would come to know you even now, that they would believe in their heart, that they too would fall down and worship you, O God, and say that God is among you. Hear our cry, Lord, and our praises in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand as we close.